When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we're excited back again. Here we are. Uh, we are from the Rick and Bubba Studios, for those of you that are new. Uh, and uh, we do this just about every Wednesday. Rare is the Wednesday that we're not here, uh, and it starts live. Now, if you are catching this on uh, the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, whether it, uh, if it's live, you may already have done this, but if not... If you want to get an alert to remind you when it goes live, subscribe to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, but then you get an alert when we're streaming something live, like the Daily Show during the week in this Bible study. Of course, it's also available in archive form uh, here on the YouTube channel, or you can go to the uh, podcast channel uh, and find uh, the Daily Archive as well. Past studies, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, uh, click on Listen, uh, and then you'll see the men's Bible study there. You can find archives. We've been at this, believe this or not, for those of you that have persevered, uh, this is, we are in our 10th year that we've been doing this. Unbelievable. That went by fast. So anyway, uh, we are in uh, the Revelation. Uh, we just finished uh, a study, a year-long study on the beginning, uh, Genesis, and now we are starting another study. It may take a year again to go through the Revelation. Not as many chapters, uh, but you got to move through the Revelation a lot slower. Uh, so we are definitely going to do that. Today we'll be in Revelation chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. couple of updates. You know this uh, Wednesday Bible study, we, we, we did this for many years, and then in, in 2020, in the month of March, we kicked off something called themanchurch.com. That is a complete men's discipleship strategy now being uh, used uh, all over the country and around the world by over 700-some-odd uh, churches. Uh, we're excited about that, and, and it's ever-growing. Uh, coming out this year, we got a brand-new curriculum coming out. This will be our fourth 40-week curriculum. We provide curriculum for men, 40 weeks, each one of those. Uh, and our fourth one will come out this year. It'll be called Impact. Uh, and we have uh, something I'm extremely excited about for the first time ever. Uh, and uh, it was a very scary process. But don't worry. We have people that are editing me to be sure that my transitions and grammar is corrected. Uh, but uh, for the first time ever, uh, I, w- I was asked and, and prayed about it and felt led to do it, uh, written my first devotional. with uh, I've contributed to some, uh, and back in the days of the Rick and Bubba books, we didn't write those. Uh, you know, we talked to somebody on the phone, and they wrote them. Uh, so this is the first time that, uh, that I've actually uh, sat down, and my wife, Sherry, is the writer. I am not a writer. But it's mainly Scripture, so somebody had already written it anyway. But, uh, and, and I have a little commentary on 31 of uh, the most challenging verses in the Bible. I mean, they're all challenging. Uh, it's going to be called Transformed, uh, Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God. And this is what Scripture has to say about the power of God to transform all who are redeemed into something that is nothing like what we were before. And it is talked about quite a bit in Scripture. And uh, so it'll be a 31-day devotional. And then our theme of the Man Church Conference will be Transformed. That'll be the theme of the conference. The conference is coming February 24. Four and 25. It is sold out. There are no more tickets available to that. So I guess now I just tell all of you who have tickets from all over the country, look forward to seeing you. 
uh, coming up on that last week of February. So if you didn't get a ticket to that, I'm sorry, um, you know. But this was a trial run for us, so it may be something we start doing annually. We'll see. But there's all kinds of opportunities to go around the country and find churches that are doing the strategy. And part of that strategy I mentioned is a curriculum that's high equipping, but it also features high challenge. That's man churches. These are services, as Scripture calls uh, for the men, uh, uh, you know, several times. Uh, some churches do two, some do four. Uh, scripture calls for three, uh, but they weren't on a quarter system, so we kind of designed it with four. Uh, and then you do 10 weeks of curriculum in between each gathering. So there's some gatherings going on this week. Uh, tomorrow night, if you're watching this live, uh, that would be the 19th of January. You can see Andrew Varvudis. He'll be with First Baptist Church Opelika. They're in the fourth year of the strategy, and he'll be for their next man church. You're welcome to join them. Uh, or if you go to that church, you should be there. Uh, that's happening on the 19th. Jordy Henson. Uh, from Team Man Church will be at First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. They continue the strategy on January the 28th. I'll be in Jackson, Alabama via video. Uh, we offer a kickoff video if you can't work it out to get one of our teachers there. And I can come in on video and uh, launch the strategy for you. Jackson, Alabama will do that. Uh, First Baptist Church, Jackson, that's also on the 28th of January. I'll be at First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa. Uh, our friend Rich Wingo that's on the team, he runs the men's ministry there. He's invited me back to do a man church there on February the 5th. And uh, then Rich Wingo will be at West Georgia Worship Center in Bremen, Georgia, with groups of churches doing the strategy there on the 10th. And then Jordy Henson again, West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama, on the 11th. And then the Prove Yourself a Man Conference, First Baptist Church, Chipley, Florida, has Wingo and Scott Dawson there. And then, of course, the next weekend uh, is the conference. So that kind of gets you updated on what's going on. You can find all this by going to themanchurch.com and looking under events. So turn your Bible or whatever you have the Bible on to the book of the, Reve uh, the Revelation, and we'll go to chapter 2. Lord Jesus, uh, as we uh, look at what you have said, this is, this is a revelation of you. Uh, may we, we hear clearly what you told John to write down. May we apply it appropriately. And may the power of the Holy Spirit uh, just take away all my imperfections, and they are many. I do not have the ability, Lord, uh, in my finite mind uh, to properly do this. I need the Holy Spirit. And thank you for providing that to us, that we do have the opportunity uh, to have that filter, the power uh, of the Holy Spirit, for us to hear exactly what you are saying. And also to be able to discern when people claim you're saying something else. So help us today, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, as we get into to chapter 2, this is going to be the letters to the churches. Now, let me, let me get something that uh, we've gone back and forth. I had some questions even after last Wednesday, uh, and I want to tell you once again, when you're going to see the, uh, the verse 1 of chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this, this whole thing about angel, here has has thrown some people, uh, but I have uh, researched and researched and researched, and uh, there's very little disagreement uh, that these are not angelic beings that uh, that John is being told to write down about. This represents the messengers of the church. It represents the elders. It represents uh, the the leaders in the church. Because and here's why. Because uh, some of you are asking after what there was more than one of you even who text me later. I'm going to tell you where these theologians come down on this and why they say this. 
Um, they, the, it's really translated, first of all, in the Greek, this is translated to messenger, okay? Uh, and it's not likely that, that every church, uh, these churches, has a true angelic being that's looking over that church. And you say, well, no, wait a minute, Rick, stay with me. Although Scripture does say that angels watch over uh, the church, 1 Timothy 5.21, if you want to write that down as an example of that, Paul talks about that, 1 Timothy 5.21. And they also watch what goes on in the church, Paul's letter to the, the, in Corinth to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.10. A, usually it's not one, it's many. B, here's where it really solidifies that, they're not, that, that John is not talking about, nor Jesus, uh, angelic beings, and that is this. These messengers, the angel of the church of Ephesus, is about to be rebuked. Uh, and these angels keep being rebuked along with the meaning these have to be the leaders of the church. Uh, we would not be rebuking an angel. And we certainly would have demons that are watching over the church. So, uh, so these messengers uh, are being included in the rebu- uh, rebuke, so it's quite unlikely uh, that Christ would have fallen angels or demons leading or watching over the church. So it's more likely, and I'm telling you, there's very little disagreement on this, that, uh, that these, the word messenger here is, a, is, is the correct word, uh, and it's the leadership who are now receiving and delivering the message from the apostles of God uh, and also from now Jesus himself. Now, when you, so, so that's settled. Okay, so moving on, the next thing is this. There's three different views of the letters to the churches. Teaching the Revelation as much as I can, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to chase rabbits that really have no validity whatsoever. But there's three main views on these letters to the church, and then we'll jump into the first church. Okay? I want you, so I'm not going to keep repeating this every week. It was going church by church, but get it today, the three different views. And you can honestly pray about this, and you can, you can look at it whichever of these three ways you want. Or what I do, I just look at it all three ways. Uh, so there's the one that that is that is you know straightforward. It's the practical view. These are just the seven churches. There's seven specific churches. Churches. Uh, there's a basic view. Ephesus will be the formal church. We'll talk about that. Smyrna will be the fearful church. Uh, now we get into a little bit. This is the same place, but uh, per, uh, Pergamos is in some uh, English. The others, which one I have in English Standard, one of the later ones. This church is actually called uh, Pergamum. Uh, it's the same place, but it, it, it's the faltering church. Uh, then uh, Thyatria uh, is, it, or, or sorry, Thyatia uh, will be the false church. Sardis will be the fruitless church, and Philadelphia the feeble church. Laodicea the fashionable church. That's just the practical view. We're going to look at these churches. They're churches that were specific. There's these letters to these churches. They existed in time. This is what was going on at those churches in this time. That's one view. Uh, the other view is the churches represent the state of all churches. Uh, so you you look then, uh, you would see Ephesus's fundamentalism, had a lot of programs, had a lot of stuff going on, which we'll cover. Smyrna would be ritualism. Uh, you know, per, uh, Pergamum, which is what my English standard says, or, or Pergamos, whichever one it is, this is the, the, the clerical system, kind of a caste system within the church. That'd be the rise, and we'll get more into that. Uh, Thyatira here. Uh, would be more of of bringing rituals, worship from Baal, uh, paganism, 
uh, mixed with idols would come in. Uh, it, it, this is called sacerdotal uh, view, meaning things are now coming into ter- the church that shouldn't be there. Um, there's meaning there's churches like that. Remember, this view means these are types of churches. Uh, the the next that you would see is Sardis. Sardis would be liberalism has crept into churches. There's some churches that have gone very liberal. Philadelphia would be revivalism. There are churches that are having revival. Uh, and then Laodicea would be materialism. So that would be the view of the churches as they're not specific churches in this time John is getting the message. They are, but they also represent the state of a particular church at any given time. These are different things that are going on at different types of churches. That's one. Then there's the one that probably is the most controversial, and that is that they're, they're looked at uh, uh, through a prophet this is these are ages of the church, meaning all of them, but the last one have already passed. And these are things. Uh, it's more prophetic, an anticipation of church history from from when the apostles, when that ended, uh, and and then to the end of time, which would be when the time of grace ends. And that means, and if you have this view that this is prophetic, this is the history of the church. Then Ephesus, uh, of course, would be you know kind of um, the post. Um, uh, this is the church that began and, and uh, to rest and, and start to drift from the clear teachings of the apostles. Uh, meaning, it didn't take long for false theology to start getting in the church. Um, so they, they would they we would look at Ephesus as a. Um, Apostolic, uh, meaning they they are already leaving the teachers of the teachers uh, that were the apostles, and they begin to drift. And we see the letters say that was happening, and it happened pretty quick. Smyrna would be the persecuted church. All the different times of persecution of the church. There's ten distinct outbursts of persecution. Nero in fifty four, uh, the one that we're talking about when Revelation was was written. Uh, Dimension in eighty one. Uh, Trajan ninety eight. Hadrian in 117, uh, uh, Septimius, uh, and, uh, and, and this was in uh, uh, Severus, he was 193, Maximum uh, 235, uh, Decius 249, uh, Valerius uh, 254, uh, Aurelia 270, and Diocletian uh, 284. And, and this last one, Diocletian, two, it started in 284, uh, it, it seemed to dwarf any of the persecution before. Uh, and, of course, there were times, and it was interesting reading some writings on this, where Christians just kept surviving. And at one time, which which led to uh, the stop of the persecution, the persecution got so severe and Christians kept surviving that at one point one of the writers of the day saying, we can't even get the wild beast to attack them anymore. Uh, the, it's almost like we, we can't get rid of this church. We can't do it. Uh, so then that kind of sets up uh, for the church to kind of settle and the persecution to end for a while. And if you have this view, meaning this is prophetic, uh, then you, you would go to uh, 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 Pergamum and you'd say they're the patronized church. They begin to lose sight of sound doctrine. Um, they, um, the persecution softened. Uh, and so, but outside influence from the government begin to influence the church. I hate to say it, sometimes when persecution ends, that's when the church gets itself in trouble. Uh, and then, of course, if you're doing prophecy, uh, then, uh, then then you get to Thyatira, 
and this would be the papal church. This would be the rise of Catholicism in the history of the church, if you look at it this way. Uh, and then when you get to Sardis, there's the glimpse of the Protestant church. This would be the rise of the Protestant church. If you look at Philadelphia, this would be the practical church. This would be the era of revival and missions and some of the great movements of the Holy Spirit that we've seen. Wesley, Moody, Finney, uh, Livingston, Taylor, Judson. God brings the church back uh, to reach a lost world. And then if you're looking at it from this view, which would be prophecy, we would now be currently in Laodicea. That would, this would represent the present-day church. Lukewarm, wealthy, riddled with compromise, carnality, um, uh, even a few cults thrown in, calling themselves Christianity now. Remember what I told you before? The word Christian is just losing all of its punch. There are 38,000 different groups that call themselves Christians now. Uh, and, uh, and the Lord, when we see it, when we study Laodicea, if you see it from this point of view, uh, the Lord is actually on the outside of the church asking, knocking to being brought back in. We are now having church without him. Okay, so that's the three views. I'm not going to land on any any of them, but I am just going to walk through every church now. So you can see this today as Ephesus being, we're going to find out about how Ephesus, how it was during that time. Or you can say Ephesus represents uh, a, a state that any church could be in, even modern day. Or you can look at it prophetically and go, this is when they started to leave the teachings of the apostles. However you want to look at it, you can, but we're, 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 going, we're going, and I think that uh, I'm not going to land that any one of those is the way it should be, but those are the three views, okay? Uh, so now let's jump into the actual church and what is being said uh, to the church at Ephesus. Um, and, uh, and if you have any questions about all this, you can always follow up with me. We certainly can't do it in this format, but if you want to follow up with me, you, you can. Uh, all right, so let's go to, to Ephesus, and let's look at verses 1 through 7. To the angel, messenger, of the church in Ephesus, Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found, and, 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 and they are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good so far. And there's that old word you, you don't like, but, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this, the, yet this you have, you hate the works. And this bunch here, the, uh, the, the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll unpack that in a minute, this bunch. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I'd underline that, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, so here is the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesus is the, is, 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 is the only church in the New Testament that with this letter gets two letters. They get one from Paul, which we're very familiar with, and we'll look at that because I think it's pretty important to know what Paul said about the Ephesians. Uh, remember when John was sent to Patmos, at that time he had taken over 
and was the leader of the church at Ephesus. Timothy had done it too, but John actually, uh, I think one of the best things that I, I heard, it might have been, was it Vadi who said this? I can't remember who said it. I think it was. He said, if you really look at what Paul was teaching Timothy as his mentor, and he was teaching Timothy as his protege, you could sum up all the letters to Timothy by saying, here's what I want you to do, and, and says, says, this is it. He said, I, I've been doing this, so I'm going to keep doing this till they kill me, and then you keep doing it till they kill you. Okay, and so and so that really would be the summation of, of their conversations. So John is now actually, because nobody can kill John. They keep trying to kill him, and they can't. So he's he's been leading this church. But anyway, remember what Paul said uh, in his uh, uh, letter to the Ephesians, two notable things. He prays what? He prays for more light in the church. He, he's telling them, he said, he's, don't lose the light. Here, John's being told, you've lost your love. You know, love has left this church. So he says, don't lose the light. And then also, Paul, what? He prays for more love in the church as well. So obviously, this was a problem uh, in the church at, at, at Ephesus. Uh, and, then, and then John was told, write it down, that they had abandoned their first love. And, and what he means by this, and we need to really apply this to ourselves, because you're always looking for application, and there's always application. So think about where we are, and I say we, that's, that's all of us, who claim to be redeemed. We claim to be part of the church, wherever you're part of his church. And by the way, if you're not, you should be, okay? A, a part of his church, I don't mean attending it. I mean immersed in it. I mean plugged into it. I mean serving in it. I mean not I get there when I can. I mean, I, this is who I am. I am in his church because he loved the church. This is his bride. I, as the redeemed, should be involved in his church, okay? And I should be in it with other people who are also followers of Christ, okay? And if you're not, you're in disobedience, okay? I, 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 every time somebody comes to me and says, I don't have a spiritual life that's very strong, I'm telling you, nine and a half out of ten times, I say, are you involved in the local church? And they say no, every time. And I say, well, we we, we got to get that first. And I don't mean attending it. I mean immersed in it. I attended church when I was as lost as I could be. I'm talking about immersed in it to where, to where you're forced into God's Word and the conviction of His Word can't let you off the hook. Okay, and if you really want to grow, get your act together and teach. Okay, and, and as, as, as the writer of Hebrews was screaming, some of y'all should be teachers by now, and I keep having to go back to the basic oracles of God. By now, you should have moved on and been serving the church. How can I still have to come back to you and give you, me, and give you milk? So some of you, the fact that you're not teaching, you're in disobedience. You refuse to grow. And so this, this, this is, and you'll have to work that with God. I don't know who that applies to, but it applies to somebody. Okay? Because that's what I was told to say. So, so anyway, John is told that, that looking at this church, the furnace is still there, but the fire has reduced down to embers. Isn't that a good analogy? I saw that, and I think that was John Phillips that gave that analogy. The, the, the fire had, had gone out. It was warm, but it wasn't hot because they had a cooling passion for Christ, a distance had set in between that church and Christ. It, 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 and you know why? Programs. 
going, going, you'll see that going about there. They're doing a lot of good things, but they're not doing it because they have a passion for Christ. They're doing it because this is what we've always done. It has become our culture more than it has become devotion to him. Now, I take a note of that because I went through that through a large portion of my life. It was our family's culture, but it wasn't because we were passionate about Jesus. Now, my grandmother was. Uh, verses 1 through 3, they're, they're, they're standing up to their task, Jesus says. I know your works. I know you toil, and I know your patient endurance. You ever had a great teacher teach you that way? Let's talk about first about, about what you're doing well. Don't think I don't see you enduring. Don't think I don't understand that you're not falling, you're not folding up, you're handling the persecution, and I commend you for that. You ever had that? And if you're a really good teacher, you're already thinking, yeah, but here comes the butt. You know, and, and so he's saying, and, and he says, so I acknowledge that you have works. You know what Jesus says? I can see that. Remember back to the analogy of what John saw? Fire coming out of his eyes. Remember what we said that is? He's, that, that's him burning through the church. He sees what's going on in his church. And he says, you are full of works, and you've got great programs, and I acknowledge that. You do that well. I bet they could put together a function and a committee, and I mean, I bet, they, I bet, I bet nobody could touch them. And he says, I see it. Hey, I know that at the church at Ephesus, when that bulletin <gasps> – I didn't mean to bring up the B word, bulletin. I, 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 but that the B word, the bulletin, or we would say today, check the website, okay, that that thing was full. I bet there were more programs than you could shake a stick at. You could get involved in everything. They had it all ready to go, okay? And that's not a bad thing unless it's not all there because of devotion to Christ to advance his kingdom. If it's become... And I, I heard a man that I won't mention one time say, if we lose this, we're just a spiritual social club. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and you know what? That's exactly right. So, so he's saying let's be careful of that. And uh, so then, he, then in 2B he says that the church at Ephesus was standing up for the truth. That's another good thing. I know how you, uh, you, know, are, are, you, you cannot stand evil. You have called out false teachers. You have vetted them. You've rebuked them. And how about this? At the church at Ephesus, they will not tolerate false doctrine. That's good. That's great. He said, I love that about you. But are you doing that to win an argument? Are you doing that to defend me? Do you want to show how much you know and bring glory to yourself? Or are you standing up saying, don't blaspheme Jesus? See, that's two different things. I know a lot of people that can win arguments, but there's not a lot of love in their life. And, and, and I don't know whether they're doing that to bring, bring glory to themselves. Look how smart I am. Look how much I know. Look how little you know. Uh, I, I, I pointed out that that's not good theology. I pointed out that's false doctrine. I won't stand for it. Not standing for it is great. Being able to identify it is great. But if we're doing it to win an argument or bring glory to ourselves, we're wrong. And Jesus says, I see. See, what I'm worried about, Jesus is saying, I'm worried about your motivation. I can tell you guys something, brothers to brothers, okay? And I know, ladies, y'all peek in. You're welcome, okay? I'm moving in my sanctification to the point that Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is saying, now let's get to those things that we had to wait for you to get a little older and a little more mature spiritually before we could even talk to them. You were such a mess 
when I redeemed you, we, we, we were years before we could get to, get to this stuff. Right now, we just keep you out of jail. If we can just do that first. But now it's gotten to the point where you know what it is. So, Rick, you did something this week that you know you're supposed to do, but why did you do it? That kind of stuff. What was your motivation? You teaching the Wednesday, Wednesday Bible study to be a well-known teacher because you want to disciple people? Do you want to point people to me, or do you kind of like having this and pointing some people to you? I, I'm going to watch your motivation. I can see your motivation. I can tell why you're doing this. Are you doing this so you can be very knowledgeable about Scripture, or are you doing it because you want to know so much about me? That kind of stuff. See, all that matters because, honestly, here's where I had to got convicted by studying this this week. I probably would have told everybody to go to the church at Ephesus. I probably would have said, man, they're awesome. That's a great church. And it was. Or it is. Or it will be. Or, or it's past. What, however you're looking at it. But the bottom line is a church like this, however you see this, we would all think was pretty good. And Jesus says, yeah, it, 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 it is, but they're missing something. And he's going to go as far as to say what? And you need to repent. So what we're hearing from Jesus is you may have a church and you may be part of a church that is quite impressive and it still needs to repent. According to this, that's not what I said. So, so then uh, you, you see the next thing he says about them, which is really nice. He says they're standing in the test. Uh, they, they, they stood up for Christ. They did not back down. They endured the persecution. Even when the fruit was not coming in, they stayed the course. He even compliments them for that. I realize not a lot of people are converting. I realize a lot of people hate you. You're not baptizing a lot of folks, but you're staying the course. You ever been through that? You ever been in church going, when was the last time we baptized somebody? I, yeah, every time I think about this, I think about poor old Jeremiah. Good gracious, poor old Jeremiah. I mean, he can't get anybody to listen. I mean, he can't get anybody to listen. And he finally just tells God, I just wish you'd kill me. I just, I just, I don't know. Everybody hates me because of you. Every time I bring you up, it's bad. You never give me any good news for anybody. I'm always having to tell everybody. When people see me coming because of you, they hate me. And, I mean, can you imagine being on the board at Jeremiah Ministries? Can you imagine this? You've been giving you money. You've been trying to help him. You're ready for the big report. Tell us what's happening, Jeremiah. I got to tell you, we got nothing. How, how many people have, 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 have repented? None. How many people have listened to God? None. I got zero. So wait a minute. So God's still going to end up having to destroy these people? He is. They're going into slavery. They're picking that uh, over God. So we've given this money, and you've preached your heart out, and nobody's listened? That's what I'm here to tell you, and I need more money. I mean, so, so, so anyway, but, 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 but what does he say which gets down to this? But what's that beautiful thing that Jeremiah says? I don't even want to talk about you anymore. I really don't. It's caused me nothing but trouble. But there is a fire that is shut up in my bones. You and I, I've experienced you, and I know you, whether they acknowledge you or not, and you're so incredible, and you so consume me, and you, I belong to you so much that I can't help but talk about you. I'm miserable not talking about you, whatever it brings me. And he's saying that's what Ephesus is missing. They're standing up. They're enduring, but they haven't quite got to the point to their, their where they were in the beginning that they understood why they're doing it and who they're doing it for. So then he gets down to their weaknesses. 
And this comes in verses 4 and 5. Let's read that again, okay? He says, but I have this against you. Can I tell you all, I don't want to hear Jesus tell me that he has anything against me. But does he? Look into your life right now. I'm going to look into mine. I did this while I was studying this. Can I, can I point to something in my life right now that I know, because I do know Jesus, that he has this against me? Rick, I have this against you. You're, you're too prideful. Rick, I have this against you. You're too carnal. Rick, I have this against you. Why do you bring this garbage into our lives? You know that you and I are together. You know that my presence is in you. Why did you drag me to that movie? I have that against you. Why, did you, why, are, you, why are you surrounding us in this music? I have that against you. Why, why are you treating your wife the way you do? I have that against you. Why are you exasperating your children? I have that against you. Why have you abandoned the fellowship of the other believers? I have that against you. Why am I not priority in your life? I have that against you. Why, and this one may sting, really, really sting, why aren't you making disciples? I have that against you. I clearly said before I ascended that you're to be a disciple and you're to make disciples, and I told you to teach them all that I have commanded. Are you teaching anybody what I commanded? And even if you decided to, do you know what I commanded to the point you could even teach it? I have that against you. By the way, he told us to do that crystal clear. The last thing he said before he ascended. And apparently, through all the other scripture, it's going to be what he's going to be asking about when he comes back. So does, what does Jesus have against you? What does Jesus have against me? Well, he goes on and he says to them, and this is what we need to do. See, right now we might go, you know what? He has that against me. Well, he tells us what to do. If he has something against us, he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. And here's what he's saying. Remember this. I've used it in this way, and I don't have a problem with it. 1 Corinthians 13. I've done it. I've used it. It was in my marriage ceremony. I've used it in other marriage ceremonies, and it's a beautiful thing to do. But it's not exactly what Paul's talking about. He's not really talking about that kind of love. It's sweet to use it, and there's no problem, and it works because you don't treat people a certain way. What Paul is telling the church at Corinth is y'all are very gifted, and they do have a lot of gifted people in Corinth. But you have no love. And you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't love people and you don't love Jesus, it's what? A clanging cymbal, a banging gong. It does not, it does not delight in you know bad things happening to other people. It, it does not keep a record of wrongs. All that can apply to marriage, but that's not really what, what Paul's talking about. What he's really talking to as a church and saying, you don't have the right kind of love. And really right now, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, all this you're doing, even the things I've commended you for, you've left love. You don't have love. You don't really love people when you say that's false doctrine. You don't really love people when you're persevering. You, you've lost your love for me, and you've lost your love for people, and I have that against you. you got great programs. you got a happening church. And, you, and, and at times it looks like your attitude is great, but the attitude here is you're almost like a company 
and you're, you, you, the leaders of the church, are the CEOs of a spiritual social club, and we've lost why we do this, and you've lost your love for me, and you've lost your love for people. And I have that against you. And then he says this, and this is the part we got to get, we got to get and apply it to ourselves. Look at five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, what does that say? mean, guys, there's nothing in my life that has ever changed, nothing that has ever been removed from my life that I didn't call sin that was sin. Until we call it sin, we can't repent. You can't repent of something you won't call sin. Rick, you need to repent. Of what? Of this. Why should I repent of that? There's been things in my life that didn't change, didn't change, didn't change, didn't change. You know why it didn't change? I didn't repent. I didn't call it sin. And once I called it sin and said, you know what, I can't justify that anymore. I, I, I repent, Jesus. You're right. That is sin. You do have that against me. So you know what he says? If I've got something against you, you know how we can resolve it? Repent. Turn a 180 from it, acknowledge it as sin, and, and ask me to forgive you. Be sincere that you are turning away from it, and I will. We can, we can resolve this. See, we get to this point going, Jesus has this against me, and I don't know what to do. Of course we do. He says, remember, what is that? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Call it what it is. You fell. This was something you didn't do right. I have this against you, and you're looking back at me, and you know what you're saying? You should have this against me. I acknowledge that you have this against me. I acknowledge this is sin. I'm not, I'm not justifying it anymore. I'm no longer going to say, well, yeah, but it's not a big deal. No, if Jesus has it against us, it's a big deal because you and I aren't the standard. That's what we love to do. You know, that's the reason why a lot of us won't take that step and get around people that are further along than we are spiritually. We won't do that because it makes us look bad. That's where we come up with these terms like holy roller, self-righteous. Now, there are some people that are that way. I'm not saying that, but we're pretty quick to go to that label. We, we go to that label a lot of times when what we're really mad about is just a devoted follower of Jesus. And it makes us look like we're not much of one. So we have to go after them. We have to, we have to say they're over the top. They get carried away. Carried away, giving up their vacation for a mission trip. We don't have to do that. I told you. I tell you, I, I, I never will forget it. I dealt with this one time. And, and it doesn't matter. God calls you or he doesn't. I'm not saying that. That doesn't indicate good or bad. We are called to something, though. Let, let me tell you this. Let me clarify that. We've said that a few times in her over the last decade, and I'm going to say it again. There is no calling. There's some people you – I used to be like this. You talk to somebody, so what's God called you to? Real nothing. Nothing. No, nope. he just redeemed me, and I'm going to heaven. I'm just kind of hanging out till then. So he, there's no call. Well, I know what he didn't call me to. Uh, okay, but what did he call you to? There is no such thing, I can't find in the Scripture, the call of nothing. Hmm. Yes, uh, I'm part of that group. You know us. We've been called to do nothing. Uh, that's that's. Uh, I've, I've studied. I've sought my spiritual gifts. I don't have any. Uh, God didn't give me any. And uh, so that probably means I'm one of those that's called to nothing. I just stand here and wait to go to heaven. Uh, well, that doesn't exist. You may not be called to the ends of the earth, but you're called to Jerusalem. You may be called to Judea, Samaria, the state, the city, the country. You don't have to... The people who go to the ends of the earth, they're not more devout than those that are serving down in the city right now. But now they are more devout than those that aren't serving anywhere. Okay, so, so this literally happened. We were going to an ends of the earth thing. I didn't want to go. 
If you want to know about calls, let me tell you who, who don't want to go anywhere. That's Rick Burgess. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And I'm thankful when I'm back. Okay? But I go because I'm told to. Okay? And I'm not a big traveler. If there was no call on my life, Rick Burgess would never leave. I bet I wouldn't leave 50-mile radius of my, of my home. I don't like to travel. I don't enjoy it. I do it because I'm told to. And at times I do it, strange concept, for other people. I know that's odd. I've, I've met a lot of people that pretty much the family just does whatever they want to do. I don't really have that attitude. I actually let the family do stuff they want to do sometimes. Strange concept, but I actually do. So, so And that came from Christ because I wouldn't have been that way without Jesus. But, but how did God say, I told my kids, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth. We can go right across this highway by our house. We can serve Jesus right down that apartment complex. And I said, you are 100% correct. So that's your call. So tell me what you're doing. Silence. Y'all doing a block party? Uh, what's your strategy to try to reach or at least talk to these people about Jesus? You're right. I mean, there's just me and lost people across that highway that need Jesus as much as anybody in some third world country somewhere. So what is your strategy? So what are you and the kids going to do? That was the sound. He wasn't going to do anything. That, that, that was a pivot to get off the conviction of going on this mission trip. He pivoted. He said, well, I don't have to do that. And he's right. But he does have to do something. But when he said I could just go across the street, he was right. He just wasn't going to do it. And so that's what is going on with, with some of the people in this church, but also with us, and we need to repent. He says, if you remember why you fail and where you have fallen, I'm sorry, where you fall, identify it, repent, and do the works you did at first. Hey, you know what this is? Hey, we're all going to mess up. Repent, get back on your feet, and remember who you are in me, and let's get back to work. See, what the adversary tries to do is show up, and I've seen this so many times, and I think I went through this in part of my life, you're finished. You've messed up so bad. You've been so disobedient to God, he can't use you. You needed this. Don't even, don't even blaspheme him with acting like he can use you now. And you just sit there believing that garbage, believing that lie. Here's Jesus saying, look, y'all got some good things going on. Fix what's messed up, and let's get back to work. Just fix it. Repent. I'm calling you out on it. Repent. I'll forgive you, and let's get back to work. Some of y'all need to hear that. Just get back to work. We've all messed up. There's none of us that deserve to be involved in the works that God's called us to. None of us. And he can do it without any of us. What do we say? God's will is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. It's a celebration to be allowed to do it. That he would even say, I don't really need you for this, but I think, it'll, I think you'll love being part of it. Because if you turn me down, I'm just going to get somebody else. I've told you all this. When it comes to this thing with the men's ministry, I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is not false humility. This is absolutely truth. I'm about fourth string. He couldn't get the first three strings to do it. They were people that could do this far better than me, far more gifted, far more educated, far further down the line. And he certainly could have done, done it with them, but when it came to them, they turned it down, and he finally got around to me. I was not the first choice. 
and rarely are any of us. But at least I'm aware of it. So, so he, he, he says that. So then he goes to, to more to talk about. He said, here's what's happening. He said, your weakness is this. Your, the vitality and passion has left you. And all these things, this is important. Well, this is good. Listen to this. This comes out of, um, I, can't, I, think this was, I think this one also was from John Phillips. It was. What happened to them was what they were doing now was not because of their passion for Christ or their love of, of the people that he told us to love. Remember, for God so loved the world is not worldly programs. God so loved the world, the correct interpretation of that scripture is for God so loved the people of the world. Because Jesus told us not to be of the world and that the world will hate him, therefore they're going to hate us. So that's not what he means. What he means is for God so loved the people of the world. Since I love them, you should too. Okay, And they had lost that, and now, listen to this, oh, we can't get here. Now everything they were doing, though impressive to the eye, was out of obligation, their reputation, and for them to get applauded by men, to get the applause of people. We did a thing called Stadium Fest for three years in a row. It was a massive undertaking. And we went out to raise all the money so that all the musical acts and all the speakers, the ones who do it for a living, which that's fine. Paul made that clear. That nothing wrong with them getting paid to do what they do. Matter of fact, Paul says we should. He chose to make tents because he didn't want to hear the Corinthians gripe about having to pay him. But he said, I, you should pay me. And the others that are getting paid, they're not doing anything wrong. So that was no problem, but we didn't want a ticket price to be in the way of somebody coming to these big community citywide outreaches. So we raised all the money. And I will tell you this, one of the greatest miracles of those three events was that we got 150 churches to help with it and didn't have to get credit to any of them. Most of that stuff runs aground because churches won't work together because they want to know who's going to get the credit. And I, and I think one of the most <laughs> incredible miracles of those three years was no church got credit, but they all helped. And see, that's what he's saying is, do you have to get credit? Do you have to be recognized? Do you want me to say well done, or do you want the world to clap? Are you doing all this for an audience of one? Are you doing it so everybody says, wow, y'all really are happening in church? He said, I have that against you. It's just obligation and reputation now. It's not because of your devotion to me. And those hours of fire saw their motivation, and saw what they lacked, and he called them on it. He said in, in 5, he said the, the, the validity of their profession was gone. And Jesus says, you have fallen. None of this is based on devotion and love for me. The things you do are not from a positive place. You are practicing something that isn't what I call love. What I call love and what you call love are two completely different things. Now, he, he gives them a forceful warning, and he says that um, they need to repent of what they're doing. And he says, now look at this, repent and do the works you did first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So what are the lampstands? That's the churches. Do you all hear that rebuke? If you don't do this, I'm shutting this place down. 
I can't have this continuing. So know that I'm not just saying this because it's something that's been on my mind. I'm saying it because this is, you remember, I love that back to Jeremiah again. I'll keep going back to Jeremiah. Remember when Jeremiah was told by God, let me be real clear here. This message that I'm giving you, the one right before they were taken by the Babylonians, this message, because he's now at the point, he says, I want you out of Jerusalem, and I want you to go out, and you're going to become slaves of the Babylonians. Now, I'll come get you, but this is going to be to refine you. But if you don't go out, if you stay in this city, you're going to burn with it because they're about to take this place down, and I'm going to let them. I'm doing this. You're not rejecting, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And what did he say? This is a message, and you tell them this, of life and death. You know what Jesus is saying to this church? This is a message of life or death for this church. I'm not going to just let this go. You ever seen churches all of a sudden have it going on, and all of a sudden, down they go? What usually happens when they go down? Something gets revealed that was going on that shouldn't have been going on. And down she comes. I've actually had friends of mine, and they're not the most optimistic people. Anytime a church reaches celebrity status, and I mean, I'm talking about it's got it going on. We're talking about tens of thousands of people, and everybody loves it. You know what they say to me every time? You're going to help us clean up the mess when this thing falls? Because you can just see it coming. You can just see it coming. And Jesus says that this is how they keep this from happening. They repent, and then they will remain with him in their presence, the analogy of the lampstands. He says this in in verse 6. He says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, this this Nicholas guy, it, it was a Christian sect that that they believed. Bottom now, some people say not everybody agrees on this. If you go back to uh, to Acts six, yeah, when the first deacons are named, Nicholas is one of them. Okay, some people say that's who this is. Others say, nah, I was another guy that that kind of rose up out of the church and started his own following. So we don't know. But here's what we do know: it was a it was a false version of Christianity. And what he said was very similar to the Gnostics that John's taking on in First John. Freedom and sin. Doesn't matter what we do. The grace abuse. Sin doesn't matter. It became really kind of the first version of universalism, meaning, you know, God loves us. We're all good. Doesn't matter what we do. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's paid for all of our sins. That's true, but he this was a no repentance form of Christianity. Do whatever you want to do, live it up, enjoy your flesh. Your flesh is fallen. You'll get a glorified body. It's all good. The bottom line, this was a cult of false teaching, and this man named Nicholas started these followers. It was, some think it was Nicholas of Antioch. Some don't. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, the bottom line was he was an apostate. And, and they're getting complimented by saying that, you know what, you stood against that, and, uh, and, you, and you hated evil. Uh, but I, but but you've lost the reason that you were doing this, and uh, and so that's what that's all about. And they get complimented for that. But he's telling them again in verse seven that this love that that is that they need. He says, you know, the love that you have must be absolute. It must be correct. It must be absolutely positive, meaning that it's not about you. It's it's not always. We, we they don't need to always hear from y'all what you're against. 
They also need to hear from y'all what you're for. Me. Just listen to that, because I've been guilty of that sometimes. Sometimes the church, we, we're out there, and everybody's perfectly clear on what we're against. They just don't know what we're for. And so, and so Jesus is saying, look, I got it. What you are against, you should be against. But you forgot to tell them what you're for. You've lost that. Where's me? Now you're out trying to win arguments or trying to get involved in political movements. What about me? What are you for? You're for grace. You're for repentance. You're for a life that, that delivers you from sin. And, and so it says, and then the last thing he tells them, so it also needs to be personal. Look at 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He saw the fallen state of the church, but he appeals to them. I love this. Don't you love this about Jesus? Remember when we were talking about how John said, man, when I saw you, him in his glorified state, I felt like I was a dead. And the first thing Jesus did was put his right hand on his shoulder and said, don't be afraid. Watch what Jesus, this is, man, if, if this doesn't fire you up and make your eyes water a little bit, he's done this rebuke of, of, of the Ephesians, and then he, he starts to now talk to them. And those that truly represent Christ are so good at this. Have you ever seen somebody full of the Holy Spirit and you've walked out of the service and would you say, I felt like he was talking to me, not to this whole group. I felt like it was focused on me. Jesus now begins to speak to them as individuals. Let him, individual, let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Now he's talking to whoever you and I are. It's like he goes, I tell you what, this Wednesday Bible study got this, this, and this, and y'all do this pretty good, and you've done that great, but you've lost this, lost this. Now, Rick, listen to what I have to say. Josh, listen to what I have to say. Benny, listen to what I have to say. And he begins to talk to us as individuals. And he says this, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. You're going to see this at the end, by the way, of the revelation. There's a lot of talk about those who conquer, those who finish, those who never abandon me. Those who, when I say repent, they do. They don't stand up defiantly telling me I'm unreasonable or telling me that I'm not their Lord. They're still their own Lord. The ones who conquer, the ones who defeat the sin in their life through me, those who never leave me, those who never fade, no, those that are not part of the giant falling away of the church, those are the ones that when I— because you know what the Revelation is about to show you? Oh, this is beautiful. I hate to get ahead and tell you the end of this. But anyway, what's, what's happening is Satan goes into the Garden of Eden and he justifiably beats Adam and Eve out of what God gave them. And you know what Jesus is saying? All those that conquer, we're going back to the Garden. Y'all, y'all turned against me because you wanted to decide what was right and wrong? So you ate from the tree of knowledge, which was human beings telling God, no, we want to decide what's right and wrong. We don't trust you to decide what's right and wrong. You know what he says? Those of you that conquer, we're going back to the garden because I have the keys to death. I have redeemed the people. And those that conquer and never fade on me and stay with me, 
and never compromise me, we're going back to the garden. And I'm going to set this right. And Satan's going to be dead. And I'm going to take it and bring it right back to you. Just like when he stood when we were doing the study. You remember? We were doing the study of Peter. And Peter says he stood before all those fallen angels after he had gone to the cross and said, it is finished. And he stood before those fallen angels all the way back to Genesis 6. And he told those fallen angels and he told Satan, you tried to invent your own version of God, men. You tried to do it on yourself. I want you to know you tried to keep me from coming to the earth. You tried to keep this from happening, but the one and only God-man is here. I'm perfectly God, and I'm perfectly man, and I've gone to the cross, and I have paid the price, and it's over. You didn't beat me, and I'm giving it back to him. I'm giving it back to him. But you know what he says? If you're not one of those who conquers... If you're the cowardly, which we'll see in Revelation 21, if you abandon me, then you're not going to be there. So repent. You're on a bad track. You're becoming apostate. You hate apostates, but you're becoming one. Look at your own self and repent. You may be absolutely sure that you have a saved soul. You may be sure of that today. And praise God for that. I hope you are. But be careful that you don't have a lost life. I'm going to say that again. It may be true that everybody in this room has a saved soul. But be careful not to have a lost life. It's important how we're living our lives. And our lives should reflect what we claim has happened to our soul, what we claim has happened to our spirit. And if Jesus has anything against us, let's repent and get back to the work we were doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the conviction of it all. May we who have ears listen. And may we be part of those who conquer. We will be escorted back to the tree of life. With you as our king. Our wonderful, wonderful king. Who came to save us when we could not save ourselves. Forgive us for how lightly we take that so many times. Please forgive us, Lord. We repent of anything you have against us. May you forgive us, Lord. And we get back to the work that you called us to that brings glory to you and abandon anything that we're doing to bring glory to ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time today.